Okay, so I do have a shortened message today, you'll be glad to know, but uh, it was, I was really excited that I was able to continue in my uh, series that I'm doing. I don't know if you remember that I'm trying to go through all kinds of different aspects of the kingdom of God, because who is tired of the kingdom of man? Yeah. So let's look at the kingdom of God. And that was really my inspiration. I was like tired of looking at the news, tired of looking at the, the fall that we're seeing of mankind around us. And I just wanted to look to the kingdom. But I get to combine that with some of the things that we have learned today from the youth presentations, from what Kim was saying, from what Renee was saying. And it's such a blessing to think about it in the terms of being children and thinking about the kingdom of God. If I was to ask you, you know, and of course you can cheat and go back and look at your notes from my previous messages on this, but if I was to ask you, what must you do to enter the kingdom of God? What would you say? Anybody have an idea? What would you do? What, what do you need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, we might say, well, uh, last time I talked about it, we need to have the spirit, right? We need to have the oil in the lamps. We need to have extra oil. We need to be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. Yeah. Um, maybe we need to seek the kingdom of God first. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And that's how we get into that. Maybe we want to be there. Who wants to be there? So about half of you want to be there. <laughs> we want to be there, don't we? We want it here, now. Did it happen yet? Not yet. But we do. And so maybe we just, we need to want it to enter into the kingdom of God. Some might say, well, we need to do everything just right. We need to obey the commandments. We need to not miss the mark, right? We need to not sin. Anybody want to say that that's the requirement to get in the kingdom of God? Yeah. No. So how do we get to the kingdom of God? There's, some, there's something missing in here. Some, some of those answers, they're kind of partially right, but there's something missing. Certainly if we break one of the commandments, well, we're in trouble, aren't we? Okay, if we start now and don't break any commandments from now, will we enter the kingdom of God? And we... But we know that we're supposed to keep the law of God and we're supposed to follow the law of God. So there's, but there's still something missing here. How about if we have a mature theology, have a really well-constructed set of, of doctrines? Do we get to the kingdom of God then? How about if we understand prophecy? We know when certain things are going to happen and we can see the two witnesses arrive in Jerusalem and we know the timing and does that get us into the kingdom of God? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5 and verse 3? Maybe this is it. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we're poor in spirit, maybe that's enough. But maybe there's something else. I I don't know how many parts I'm going to take on this Kingdom of God series because I'm already up to part five. But that should give us a clue that it isn't specifically one thing. There's lots of things for us to take into consideration to enter the Kingdom of God. But I think perhaps the most basic, the, the, the most base level that we have to achieve in order to achieve all these other elements that Jesus taught us about to enter into the kingdom, I think the basic truth that we have to accept is to be like little children. Be like little children. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, Jesus gives possibly one of the most overlooked principles, really, of entering into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 13, they brought little children to him that he might bless them, touch them and bless them. And the the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter uh, enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Just think about those words. How many times have we read that passage? Maybe you might read it at the feast, you know, before we have the blessing of of the children, right? But have we really accepted the simplicity of this message? The simplicity of what Jesus is presenting here. He tells us two fundamental things, two fundamental truths about the kingdom of God in this, just a couple of verses. And these are two principles that we need to take away and we really need to order into our life, to to put it into our thinking and in our hearts. The first principle governs adult behavior, doesn't it? Regarding little children. Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now it's important that we realize that for all of us here, all of us as adults, not just parents, although we have the greatest responsibility as parents, but all of us, certainly in this church, church family, we have a responsibility. It's for all of us who are in and around these young people and these teenagers, for that matter, to understand this principle. What is the principle? What truly is Jesus saying? We are to let the children get to Jesus and not forbid them. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty easy. You know, if somebody, one of the kids was walking up here to get their Bible and their M&Ms, you know, and Landon tackled them and tried to stop them coming up, well, we'd all let Landon know what we thought about that, wouldn't we? That's pretty straightforward. Landon would never do that. He would wait till they had the M&Ms and then get them. 
But we need to think about it. We need to think, what is Jesus trying to say here? Because there was certainly that circumstance. But what's the broader lesson? Why is this story even in Scripture? So this first principle governs how we interact with children and whether we allow them to come to Jesus or we forbid them to come to Jesus. We stop them coming to Jesus. We can either do one or the other. That's the scary part. If we're not doing one, we're doing the other. Think about that as, as parents, for sure. <laughs> you know, If we're not doing one, like Renee was talking about with those st- statistics, you know, and we didn't really need the statistics, because God told the children of Israel, teach this to your children that you may live long on the land, right? That they would be blessed. So it's not a surprise that as parents, we need to be really aware of whether or not we are directing them to Jesus or are we holding them back by our behavior, by how we live our lives. There's no middle ground in this principle, not as I see it. So... How do we bring the children to Jesus? Well, the most critical way is what Renee touched on earlier. Through teaching, right? Sharing the truth, the stones, the experiences, the life experiences that you've had with Jesus. How do our children know to trust somebody? When you meet somebody and... You are communicating with them, and you're building a relationship with them, and your children see that, they start to understand that, oh, this person is a trusted person, right? And they then trust that person because they saw their, per- their parents trust that person. Are we showing the trust in the relationship that we have with Jesus so that they can trust Jesus. So they can have that relationship with Jesus by the example of our own faith. Because what I'm not talking about is getting everything right as parents. Any parent that has ever gotten anything right finds that's fantastic, right? Because so often we think we're getting it all wrong. We're not going to be perfect parents. But if we are pointing them to Jesus in our imperfections, in our failure, then we're doing what Jesus said. But of course, the reverse is true, isn't it? If we're not trusting Jesus, if he's not directing our life, if we are not being changed by him, then we are becoming a hindrance to our children. So don't go down the road of performance-based Christianity. That if we do everything just right, follow the law of God just right, if we instill all these right principles, if we, if we make our children obedient and stay on the narrow path, that, that they will enter the kingdom of God. It's formulaic and it'll absolutely happen. Is that true? 
Not really. Is it good that our children are respectful? Well, of course. Of course they are. Of course it is that they're respectful. Are children going to be respectful all the time? Have you met children? <laughs> they're not. They're not. But they're not done, are they? They're not done growing. They're children. And there's plenty of time to teach and guide and develop and shape those hearts. Is it important that they know the scriptures? Oh, it's critical they know the scriptures. Critical they know the scriptures. How do they learn the scriptures? They're at Sabbath school class for 30 minutes a week, and then they're listening to some, you know, gray-haired old guy preaching for a while. And they may be picking some things up. But where do they spend most of their time? It goes back to what Renee was reading earlier, with us, the parents. That's really where they get to hear the scriptures. It's critical. Is it necessary that they tell the truth and be kind to one another? course it is. But they're still developing, aren't they? They're still growing and learning, and there's still room for correction. I remember a time, <laughs> I don't know if this, this was bad parenting or not, but I remember there was a time when something got broken, I can't remember what it was, and nobody did it. Do you have a nobody that runs around your house too? <laughs> nobody did it. So I was talking to the boys, like, what happened to this thing? Uh, don't know. And they were little, you know. Don't know. Did, you don't know what happened to this? It was only you and your brother here. Just kind of blank stares, you know. Do you want me to go ask God who did it? No. And then the appropriate boy owned up to doing it. Because I could go ask God who did it. Now, whether or not he would tell me who did it, they didn't know that, did they? But we do. We want them to tell the truth. We want them to own up to their mistakes. Like we do. Right? Right? Because we do the same things, don't we? And they copy us. Oh, my. They copy us. And so we can either be a help and direct to Jesus or a hindrance. Now, I'm, I'm beating up a little bit on parents. I don't mean to. I'm, I'm a parent, and, you know, there's plenty of beating up on me too. But as a church community, they watch us too. They absolutely watch us. What is it in the end that's the most important thing that we can feed into our children, especially as a church community, but even in our, in our family? What are the most important principles that will carry them through life? Is it to be respectful and tell the truth? Those things are good. Don't, please don't misunderstand. But what are the most important things that they need to understand to carry them through life? They have to see and feel and know that they are precious 
that they have value beyond anything that we could ever own. That they are so valuable to us. That they are deeply, deeply loved to the point of death for our children. That they are just a joy to us. As our own children, as parents, but as a, as a church community, we love to see our young people and our children developing and growing and turning into young men and women right before our eyes. They need to know that they are precious to us, that we love them deeply. Then they'll know that God is love, right? Because then we're showing them the love of Christ. Then we're pointing them to Jesus so critical. It's so important. So what does that look like from a practical sense? Because this is where the rubber hits the road, right? Because as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as church members, kids can be a mess sometimes, right? They can be hard. I remember coming home from work, you know, when the boys were really little, and I'd kind of cracked the door open see how much of a disaster was throughout the house with toys and blankets and who knows what's strewn around. I'm like, ooh, it's been a bad day. Right? Because they can be a mess. And if you have two of them at the same time and you're alone, and some of you know that, that's a real mess. But what does it really look like to love them unconditionally and to just cherish them when they're around us? Well, let's say in church. What does it look like? When they're running in church, what does that look like? Well, maybe you can just grab a hold of them and love on them a little bit before asking them not to run, right? Instead of just kind of griping at them. Love them. And then give some correction and say, hey, don't want you to get hurt. Don't want you to run in here. When they're too loud, in church. You know, some people get really anxious about their kids being loud in church, especially when somebody's preaching. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't bother me at all. I think it's great. Because they've got lungs, and they can make noise, and they're, they're standing up for themselves, and they don't like what's going on, you know. It's more often the, the little babies and the toddlers. That's okay. We can celebrate that they are a person and they are sharing with the world their displeasure about something. They're advocating for themselves. We can train them. We can teach them. There's plenty of time for them to not be a 25-year-old yelling in church. So we can just love on them and celebrate who they are and celebrate what they do. What about when they're sad? and afraid. What about when they're uncertain about life? Uncertain about who they are. Uncertain about their existence and their reason for being here. You know, we tend to forget that we all experienced that to one level or another, didn't we? In our life, when we were teenagers, more likely, how do we encourage them and support them in those times, think about what, what you needed and what you appreciated 
even though maybe you didn't want to show it at the time, right? About the care somebody took, the investment of time, or the interest they took in you, even if you were only giving them one-word answers. They need to feel that love of Jesus Christ. They need to feel that they can run to us as parents, as grandparents, as as mentors in the church, as friends in the church, that they can run to us when things are going really bad in their life. When they are afraid and when they are uncertain. When the enemy is coming to seek and destroy them. They are a target for the enemy. And we need to be here and look for opportunities to reach into their hearts and reach into their lives as best we can, imperfectly at times, with love and acceptance and appreciation. Not forbidden. Not stopped. You don't need to be perfect to be here. You can be completely imperfect to be here. You are welcome here. This is your home. Remember the prodigal son. You know, it's kind of interesting, uh, the story of the prodigal son. You know, we've read it a lot. There's there's so much truth and and power in that that story. But I think we all see it a little differently. You know, um, oftentimes I'm like, I'm totally the prodigal son. And now I am actually, I think I'm the son that stayed, which isn't great either, by the way. But there's so many lessons to learn from this story. I want to just jump into a little bit of it. In Luke 15 and verse 20, the prodigal son, he's coming to his senses, right? He's finally figured out what he's been doing, what he did to himself, and all the, the, the actions that he took and how damaging it was to himself and, of course, to his family. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw, saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And you know, how many times have we heard somebody point out that his father saw him because he was looking for him. He was longing for him to return, right? To come back, to be with him again kissed him. He had compassion on him. He just took a hold of him, pulled him in. He hadn't even gotten his speech out yet, right? His speech about how bad I've been and can you forgive me and I'm not worthy to be called your son. He says that, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father's response, like ignores the words, right? Ignores the words. It doesn't matter. The father says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to rejoice. 
Such an amazing story. This is the love that God has toward us, isn't it? We're all the prodigal. And we're all the son that stayed. But when we think about this, how this son, he did, he just threw all of his inheritance away. He did everything wrong that you could possibly do. But he was accepted back in that state. He was loved no matter what happened, no matter what he did. And it's interesting. He didn't have to do penance. He didn't have to you know, work for 40 years and re- replace all that money that he had just you know, frittered away. He was immediately accepted back as part of the family. And so you can kind of feel for, you know, the other son that's like, what in the world? Right? But if we're the prodigal, we want that. And we should rejoice when a prodigal son comes home and not have the attitude of the other son. That we belong to the family that there is nothing our children can do that will take them out of our family. There is nothing that they can do that would take them out from being in this church family. They need to know that. That's what they need to know as they go into life. The only way that our children get to Jesus is if we show them the way. If we show them this love. If we show them this mercy and grace. Destruction along the way, of course. But what comes first is that love and acceptance by us as the adults. So this is the first principle. The two parts, remember. If we're not doing one, we're probably doing the other. So we need to remember that. What's the second principle? Well, I think in some ways it is the exact inverse of the first principle. What was it that Jesus said? Mark chapter 10, verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. How do we receive the kingdom of God as a little child? Think about that. Can you remember what it was like to be a little child? Some of us have to think way far back. Just think back to when you were a child and how you thought of the world. This, this reminded me this morning of a time when our boys were, I don't know, four or five, really little, and we were in Dallas, and we took them to the Lego store. You, you guys ever been to the Lego store? Everybody knows Lego, right? Because they're baby IEDs that get left around the house and you step on them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously a store designed to sell Lego, but they have all this Lego for the kids to just play. And so there's so many people, you're, you're lined up outside, and they only let a certain amount of people into the store at one moment. And as soon as those doors go open, I mean, the kids are gone. Because, well, because why? Well, they just entered a world 
that was made for them. Think of that. Their eyes are like, whoa, there's Lego over here, and there's Lego over there, and I can build this, and there's a racing track, and there's just, it's everywhere. Along with all the bacteria and mucus that's, you know. Yeah, don't think about that. And they're just, I mean, they're off, and you're like, oh, where did he go? And he's hidden amongst all of the pile of kids that are in there. And there's, the noise level is just, they are having fun in the world that was made for them. It was made for them. And they would try everything they could, run from one table to the next, you know, like 30 seconds here, 45 seconds there. Oh, wait, there's another one over here. And they had to taste and, well, not taste, but touch and try and, and do everything that was on there, right? And then, of course, you know, there's the ones that are shoving each other out of the way because they wanted that thing. Well, that's part of being a child, too, is being singularly focused on what you want, sometimes a little too uh, self-centered. But that is part of being a child. And they just had this confidence and this knowledge this is where they belong. It's made for them. They didn't really have to ask permission. This was all open for them to play in. Do we receive the kingdom of God like this? Do we receive it in this way? Do we think about the kingdom of God being an environment that was made for us? Made for us to play, to have fun, to experience, to explore. And do we think about it the other way around? That the kingdom of God would be less if we weren't there to play and to explore and have fun. We were made for it. Just like a child. <laughs> this world is for us to explore. This kingdom is for us to be a child in with wonder and awe. And of course, in the kingdom of God, to be completely safe and free under his care. It's so easy to forget, right, with all the theology and all the doctrine and all the prophecy and, and, and all the adult worries that we have. But what would it be like if that door right now was a Narnian door. It was converted in an instant. And you stepped through. And you were in the kingdom of God. I'm off. You know, I can see I'm over the hill and far away. Right? We're exploring. We're in that world. And that was always such a sad thing to me about the Chronicles of Narnia, right? These poor kids, they got to be like in a, in a, in a version of the kingdom of God and then they got pulled back again into the world. How mean was C.S. Lewis? But wouldn't we like to just step into that world? And take that world in that mindset of a child. In Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
without blame before him, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Such a beautiful passage. Because what it tells us is that the person responsible for getting us into the kingdom of God is not you, and it's not me. He makes us accepted in the beloved. He's the one that does the work. He does this for us. All we have to do is accept it, enter into it like a child. And then we get to 